Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 431 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is about switching from multiple daily injections to a pump. And what I've done is gone onto the Facebook page for the podcast and gotten people's feedback about what was most valuable to them when they did the switch from injections to pumping. Before I jump in and get started, I'd like to remind you to check out T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. And here's why. You can support T1D Research and the Juicebox podcast by checking out the T1D Exchange because they're looking for type 1 adults and caregivers who are U.S. residents to participate in a quick survey that can be completed in just a few minutes. You can do this survey from your phone or your computer and you never have to leave your home or visit a doctor's office to make a substantial impact on type 1 diabetes research. This is 100% anonymous, HIPAA compliant, and every time one of you completes the process by using my link, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, you'll be helping to support people with type 1 and the show. Past participants, just like you, have helped to bring increased coverage for test strips, Medicare coverage for CGMs, and they've helped to change the ADA guidelines for pediatric A1C goals. You can give back in just a few moments. Okay, I've done this a couple of times, and it's incredibly popular, so we're doing it again. I went on to the Facebook page, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. It's a private page where listeners can talk about whatever they want. It has well over 8,000 members at this point, and it's just a hotbed of discussion around diabetes management. So I put the question up there. For those of you who have transitioned from MDI to pumping, please share your tips, things to look out for, and remembrance. Here's what came back that I thought was very interesting. Right off the bat, Nicole says, start with what the endo suggests, but only give them 24 hours. If you've listened to all the podcast episodes, you know what to do. If you have a Dexcom, be bold. Marianne said that initially it was a little difficult to get over having a device attached to her, but that she eventually did. She said you'll probably need to adjust your dosages with the team. Be prepared for that. And nothing's really permanent. So if you don't like it, she's like, just send it back. She also suggested trying to create a time for the transition that's a less stressful time in your life because there is a commitment involved in understanding it. I take Marianne's point, but I also think sometimes there's never a perfect time. So I guess, you know, figure out what would be best for you. But I would caution against waiting for the perfect time. And I would also caution against immediately wanting to give up because it is going to be different. And if you've been doing shots for a while and succeeding with it, You know, you might just be used to things working, and the truth is you're going to have to start over. It might not just work perfectly immediately. Jen said that she switched from MDI to pumping over 20 years ago, and all she really remembers was being terrified. She got a quick doctor's office visit, tiny bit of training. They sent her home, but she called technical support a number of times in the beginning, so she wants to let you know not to be afraid to ask for help when you need it. Katie says not to forget that you're no longer using 
a slow-acting or long-acting insulin, like Levamir, Traceba, one of those, that your pump is giving you all of your insulin. It's doing your basal insulin as well as your meals and corrections. So if there's a problem with your pump site, you need to be aware that DKA can set in much more quickly than is likely with MDI. So if you get up in the morning and you're, you know, MDI and you shoot your 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 Lantus, let's say, it's in there. It's doing something. But if you get up in the morning and put a pump on and there's some sort of a problem with the site and you're not getting your basal insulin, you may not know right away. So, you know, what I would do in that situation is test more frequently or pay attention to your glucose monitor if you have one. In my opinion, it's not something to be scared of. It's just something to remember. You're getting your basal insulin from your pump now. Ashley said that the first few pumps that she put on just didn't go well, and she didn't realize that she could have them replace the infusion sets or if you have an Omnipod, the pod itself, and she was just throwing them away. But if you have a failure, especially in the beginning when you don't know what you're doing, call the company. They very well may replace your items. That would lead me to say that it is not uncommon in the first week or so of using a pump to have user error with the insertion or wearing of the pump. Um, that it's important to you know keep trying, get information. Don't just think that the first experience you have is how this is going to be now, because there are a lot of people who use insulin pumps of all different kinds very successfully all day, every day. So when you're starting at the beginning and it's not working, if it's not working, maybe look inward before you look outward is my best advice from what I've seen people talking about online all these years. Josh says that his remembrance from the beginning was that he just immediately felt more in control and he started tweaking his basal insulin and extending his boluses and that that made him comfortable. Amy brings something up that I see a lot. Uh, They had fairly good control with MDI and then moved to a pump and recognized the transition, that it's not just a flick of the wrist and everything's okay again. Um, What I would say that I notice is that sometimes doctors' offices can be careful when they set up basal insulin. I guess they think of it as careful when they set up basal insulin for the first time. So say you've been doing MDI forever and you get 24 units a day. What I would do there is the quick math and say, well, maybe I'm about a unit an hour then. But sometimes doctor's offices are scared to send you out dollar for dollar from the way you did it to the pump. And they kind of go with that better high than low theory. And a lot of them will take back some. But if it was me, if Arden was using 24 units a day of basal insulin, I'd start by setting her basal at one unit per hour. And I'd see what happens and make my adjustments from there. I guess the problem comes in where the doctors don't want you to touch the basal insulin. So they set it low to show where the highs are so they can come back in later and add insulin. Being a person the way we are here that makes those changes on our own, I would start about where I thought because here's what I see happen. Those ratios are kind of lost in the moment for people often. And what happens is instead of thinking, oh, I used to use 24 units a day MDI, and now I'm only using 19 or something like that, I'm probably not using enough basal insulin. They think pumps don't work. So your brain makes this illogical leap that feels logical. 
and then you get caught in a little bit of a, a you know, a, a shitstorm. And if you don't have a doctor's office that quickly gets back with you and makes adjustments, which a lot of them don't do sometimes, then you start blaming the pump and you start having these feelings like, oh, it was better on shots, you know, and you lose faith pretty quickly. I see that happen a lot. So that is definitely something to look out for. Samara warns that once you're on a pump, it's not a free-for-all of food just because it's easy to bolus. So, you know, do your best to stay on track with how you eat. She also mentions that it's possible your insulin usage might go up and that that's okay. I would say it's also possible that people lose track of the fact that they were taking 30 units of basal insulin of one kind and using, I don't know, let's say they use 20 units or 25 units of, uh, of you know, Novolog, fast-acting insulin, for meals and corrections. So in their head, they're only using like 25 or 30 units of insulin a day because people just generally don't think of basal as insulin for some reason. They think of it when they're on MDI. It's like, I inject this once during the day, and then my fast-acting insulin is for meals and corrections. Somehow the two don't go together. Um, to me, that might be where some of that comes in is then you move over to a pump and instead of using 30 and 30, you're using 60 of all one insulin. And I guess I'll just say here in case people don't understand that a fast acting insulin, like a Novolog or a Humalog, Arden uses a Pedra, there's Fiasp, those kinds of insulins go into the pump and you get little bits of it, you know, spaced out all day long to act as basal and then you get more of it to act as a bolus. So you're used to using two insulins on MDI. Going forward with a pump, you'll only be using one. Bob says, have backup supplies. Things will fail from time to time, and you need some backup supplies. He's talking about MDI stuff. Don't give away all your needles. I still have syringes from when Arden was four years old, and we still use them once in a while. Bob's 100% right. He says, and if you're using an Omnipod, have a paperclip around. So if an Omni, so different pumps have different situations where they're going to all fail at some point. Something will happen to the flow of insulin. The pump will recognize it and shut itself down for safety reasons. They all do it. When Omnipod does it, it beeps. And sometimes the beeping doesn't stop. And you have to flip it over. There's a little hole in the back and you stuck a paperclip in there and it stops the alarm. So a paperclip is definitely something to have around. Bob, you're 100% right. I seem to remember one time when Arden was young and it happened at a baseball game. We used the post of Kelly's earring to stop it. That was a desperate moment. Janelle says you're not going to learn everything in one day. It's trial and error. Pay attention to your CGM if you have one. Adjust accordingly. Small bumps and nudges. She says I have anxiety and was freaking out when I didn't have good numbers at first but I had to just keep adjusting. And now she's in range 80% of the time and she's happy with her pump. Tara says that patience is key. It can take a few days or even weeks to get all the settings correct. She said they started without a Dexcom, so it initially took longer for her son. Since then, they've changed pumps twice with a CGM and with being bold, and the transition went much faster and smoother. What she's saying is, is that when you can see the blood sugar and you feel the, I'm, I'm, I'm reading into what she's saying, but I feel like what she's saying is when you can see the blood sugar in real time and you have that faith in yourself to make changes, 
it can go, it will go much easier. Some of you will use pumps that offer soft cannulas or steel cannulas. She said that they had great success with the steel ones and that you can get your endo to write prescriptions for changes more frequently if you need it to, to avoid absorption issues. And that's with any pump. Misty says it may get worse before it gets better. It takes time to dial in your settings. She's saying again, your rates from MDI will change and change again, but it's worth pushing through. And she uh, suggests that basal testing is definitely necessary. She found pick a time frame at a time. Like I, I think that too. start with overnight, then, you know, pick, pick segments of the day to get, I, I have to tell you too. And I say it in other parts of the podcast, I'm a fan of as few basal programs as possible. Like, I don't think you're outsmarting diabetes by having like a different basal program every hour. You know, it's 0.35 at three o'clock and 0.45 at four o'clock and 0.2. Like, yeah, I think there's a balance in there you find, you can find eventually where maybe you'll have one, two, maybe three standard basal settings throughout the day. I think if you start having more than that, there are other things you could be looking at. Suska says, start with the endo settings, but keep in mind, they keep it on the safer side. I said this earlier, we give it a week to see, they gave it a week to see how the body was adjusting, um, but she didn't want to keep things high too long. After a week, they started to make slow adjustments after talking to the endo, and once she was confident and she understood how the body was reacting to the insulin, started making the insulin adjustments on her own. She says you can be as bold as necessary as long as you're paying attention. Joanne said what I said earlier, uh, which is don't panic right away and just decide this is a bad idea if it doesn't go exactly right. A lot of people came in to agree with her about that. And Jessica wanted to offer uh, that she loves using the extended bolus features and temp basils uh, that pumping allows. A different Jessica says, listen to the pro tip episodes. Thank you, Jessica. Don't rely solely on your endo to make adjustments. Watch the Dexcom. Keep track of your trends and make adjustments when it's necessary. When you leave the house, it's more than 20 minutes away. Take an insulin pen as a backup because in case you have a bad site. So I have to say, we don't bring extra insulin with Arden if we're in what I think of driving distance. Like if it's an amount of time, I wouldn't care if I had to go back. If I'm going to try to spend the afternoon at someone's house for a picnic and it's a half an hour from my house, we take extra insulin and some pumps with us. I don't bring needles, I have to admit. Um, but her point is valid and, and worth considering. Having backups is not a bad idea. Brent makes what I think is a great point. He said that it's just a new ball game when you start over. And this is something I find myself telling people privately as well. Um, I want to see how to put this. You might be doing terrific on MDI, but want what comes with a pump. You know, maybe you just don't want injections or you want more control over basal insulin or something like that. Anyway, it took you a long time to figure out injections and it's going to take you a little bit of time to figure out pumping. It is a different game, but at the same time, it's really exactly the same. It's the mechanics of the pump, um, the nuts and bolts, how it works that you have to get accustomed to. And while you're getting accustomed to it, you will feel like, or you could feel like I should say, that you don't know what you're doing, which might lead you to have that feeling like, why did I do this? I knew what I was doing and now I don't again. But trust me, it's worth the effort if it's something you're looking for. Amy makes a great point here. 
She said that after you're up and running and things are working, take a step back and look at the pump data, right? Look at what it's doing, especially, she says, if you're using an algorithm-based pump, because you'll be able to see the increases and decreases in basal, uh, when corrections go in, stuff like that, and it'll give you an insight into what's happening. Heather says that she felt like every new step was scary for her son, who was just diagnosed recently at eight years old. They got their demo Omnipod and just left it on the table for a few days until he was ready to try it on. She also figured out things about how to remove adhesive and overlay patches that help hold things on. So there's a little bit of a new world in there. Some people use patches. Uh, Arden doesn't. We never put a patch on Arden's Omnipod. It stays on fine for three days. But I like that she didn't rush here. She went out and got the Omnipod demo and just was like, all right, let's just leave it here until we're ready. I think that's a good vibe. Even though this episode doesn't have a sponsor, it's a great place to say, I really do believe what I say in the, ad, in the ads for Omnipod. One of the greatest things about Omnipod is you can get a free, no obligation demo. You can actually try it on and wear it. The other pumps just don't lend themselves to that. Uh, but Omnipod's tubeless nature makes that accessible to you. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box to get that free demo. And you're helping out the podcast if you use the link. Alan's recommending the book Pumping Insulin, which I've never read, but I've heard so many good things about. I'm absolutely happy to say it here. He also wants to point out that the information that's available in doctor's offices can often be lacking. And that's what led him to pumping insulin. He said back in, uh, let's see, back in 2007, my doctor at the time told me they'd write a prescription for a pump, but if I needed help with it, I'd have to get it somewhere else. He said he appreciated the honesty, but finds that a little frightening. Lauren says, keep in mind that you are probably rounding up your insulin amounts with MDI. So the same ratio on a pump might not work. So this is the exact opposite of what I was talking about earlier, but it's still really valuable to say uh, that you might, what she's saying, uh, Lori, I'm, Lauren, I'm, I'm sorry, Lauren, I'm, I'm speaking for you here. But what I'm saying is you might have been using a unit or a half a unit because that's what you could measure with a syringe when maybe 0.4 or 0.6 or 1.1 was more like what you needed. Brianna says to do your research to decide what pump is right for you. She spent a long time looking at the pros and cons of all the pumps that were on the market. She says that she eventually found that her body responded differently to insulin going in through MDI than through a pump, uh, that there was a big learning curve for her. She had T1D for 19 years and was previously on a pump years ago as a child, but didn't use insulin correctly then and eventually transitioned to MDI. Having been well-controlled with MDI, she just thought the transition to a pump would be seamless, and it wasn't. Kristen says, try not to put too much pressure on yourself when you make the switch. She found it stressful to learn to use a new piece of equipment and says, give yourself or your child some time to adjust. And you may hate it at first, but give it time. She said it can be strange to wear something on your body at first, but one day you'll probably barely notice it. I must say that I've worn a couple of Dexcoms and some Omnipod demos in my time, and I have to uh, agree with that. I've obviously never used them for insulin or for actually taking care of diabetes, but when I've worn the things myself, I have forgotten that they were there eventually. They do become pretty seamless, and that's probably hard to imagine, especially for parents who are looking at their kids and thinking, oh, they're so small and this thing, but... I do think you just get accustomed to it. I know Arden did. Kristen continues on that for her, switching to pumping was life-changing. It just took time to adjust. She says, as far as management goes, you already know how to use insulin and pumps are the same. This is a great point that I really want to echo. 
You're just delivering the insulin a different way. That's it. The basal's going in a different way. The boluses are going in a different way. Instead of pushing in a needle and pushing on a plunger, you're pushing a button and it's going through a tube. She finishes by saying, take your time and if you need help, come back to this Facebook group. We'll help you. Kaylee's saying something that I've heard people say before. A pump is not a cure for diabetes. And while it makes life much easier with type 1 or type 2, I guess, if you need insulin, it still sucks. You still have diabetes. It's going to be work to learn a new method for both you or if you have a child for your child, too. Don't forget to write down your settings, she said, so you're not scampering around trying to remember things. And remember that technology can fail at times. So you're going to want to not just rely on that programming to remember all your settings forever. Write them down somewhere. But what she's saying is valid that sometimes you can hear people outside of diabetes say, oh, do you have one of those pumps? And they say it like, oh, you must have a, if you have a pump, it's probably just super simple, right? Probably makes the whole thing go away. If you're feeling that way, like a pump is just going to make diabetes disappear, that's not going to. You're still going to have diabetes. You're still going to need to bolus your meals, pre-bolus, you know, understand your settings. It's just the delivery of insulin is going to be Different, easier, in my opinion, and you're not going to get stuck as much, which is a big deal to me. Arden also being an Omnipod user, I really enjoy the fact that she does not have to take her pump off to bathe or to swim, which means we can get a nice, stable basal setting and use it 24-7. Kate just jumped in and thanked me for doing the episode and said that they've been MDI for three and a half years and the idea of pumping scares everyone in her family. And I'm, I've got to tell you, Kate... That is unfounded fear. You really don't need to be afraid. You're just delivering the insulin a little differently. You're getting rid of the shots, and you're picking up your ability to manipulate your basal insulin and create extended boluses. It's not scary. I know you're scared, but trust me, it's not actually scary. Christy said she wished that someone would have told her that her Omnipod beeps uh, to let you know when it's done. Uh, She was in a board meeting the first time it went off, and she had no idea what to do. Christy, I would tell you that the Omnipod came with a book, and it would have explained all that in there. But I get your point. It would be nice if someone would just go over it real quickly with you. Uh, That's one of the great things about, um, I don't know about other pumps, but Omnipod for certain lets you know when your reservoir is getting low, lets you know when it's coming time to change it. Um, It's good stuff. Linda says they got a pump quickly. And not had and at that time had not known about the podcast, so they were very reliant on their endo team for help. She said her diabetes educator was awesome and called several times after we placed the pump in the days and weeks that followed. They were calling to make sure everything was going good and to help with adjustments. See, this is great. If you got this kind of endo, knock on some wood. Good for you. She still says she remembers being overwhelmed at first by all the steps that it took to replace the site and being afraid that she'd forget something. That's just the, I get that, but that's the not knowing, right? It's like you don't know what you don't know, so you worry about everything. She has a T-Slim pump. She said it's user-friendly, told her exactly what to do. Her biggest advice would be to just know that there will need to be adjustments made. Julia says something I've heard a lot as well. She remembers feeling like she had just been diagnosed all over again. We kind of touched on it earlier, but it could give you that feeling. Heather says take your time. Listen to the instructions on how to change your site. And if you're getting persistent highs, it could be that your cannula is bent or something like that happened while you were changing your infusion set. We've only ever had that once where Arden got a bent cannula and it took a couple of hours to figure out. 
because we were swimming and she was away from her CGM. Had she been right with her CGM at the time, we would have noticed the rise right away. Annie says, I remember being in high school when pumps started really being used and her endo was all about it. Her mom really wanted her to get it and she didn't want anything to do with it. She didn't want the tubing, the pump being attached to her all the time, the newness of it. She just didn't want it. She got a tube pump and had it less than a year and hated it. She'd get it caught on doorknobs, drop it, never had a pocket to put it in. She was in private school. She wore skirts. Sounds like everything was not going well. It wasn't until her sophomore or junior year of college that she got an Omnipod and it was a game changer. Oh, well, thank you. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Um, that was nice of you to say, Annie. Thank you. Carmen, figuring out how to adjust the basal rates on time of day was a huge advantage. So, you know, my daughter, you guys hear me talk about it all the time, but Arden needs less insulin from basal overnight than she does during the day. And you have the ability to make those changes. You can say from midnight to seven, I want it to be 0.95, but from seven to, you know, midnight, I want it to be 1.2. Sarah says she's a type one. She's had it for 29 years. She used to pump for about 13 years, got tired of it, went back to MDI, was never super comfortable with extended boluses and stuff. But she says, however, I am now trying to regain better control and I'm about to switch back to a pump. She's got a Dexcom G6 now uh, for about six months. She loves it and she's eager to get going with a pump again. And she's hopeful to lower her A1 season to the sixes. Sarah, I definitely think you can do that. Christine's talking about the power of temp basils um, and extended boluses. There's things that I think a lot of people don't think about. I talk about them pretty extensively with Jenny in the diabetes pro tip episodes. I think these things are amazing tools that pumping, uh, offers. And please, I would take a look at those episodes and try to figure it out. D says that when they started on Omnipod, she had a couple of errors in the beginning and it all seemed like a pretty big mess, but she stuck with it. Um, just remember Basil's not going to be right, right away. And they need to make changes. It's obviously you're hearing a lot of people say the same things. It's because it's just what happens. Megan, basal testing and patience is huge, especially if you're moving to an algorithm-based pump like the Medtronic 670G, uh, for example. Both of these systems should be started with the algorithm off until basal testing is complete. So if you're thinking about doing that, she's 100% right. If you're starting with an algorithm, you start with the algorithm not working so that you can get the basal right before you start expecting the algorithm to do something. She said, Juicebox listeners know the importance of basal testing. However, it seems there's not enough follow-up in the transition from MDI, long-acting insulin, to pumping basal rates. I very much agree, Megan. It's uh, We do not talk about basal insulin the right way overall. Tara says, if you have a younger child... Um, oh, this is a good point. The Omnipod like ticks as it's getting ready to go in. It, she said it made her daughter anxious. They gave her headphones and an iPad so she wouldn't hear it. It's click, click, click. I have to tell you, Arden's been wearing an Omnipod for 13 maybe years, and she still counts the clicks as they go in. So I hear you. I think everybody with an Omnipod knows about the clicking. But the clicking, is, uh, it's part of the game. It's how it makes tension to put the insert. It's not important. It's just, you know, it's how it works. But the headphones to eliminate you being able to hear the clicking, smart. Courtney's reminding us that the pump is only as smart as the settings that are in it. She had to remind herself that the pump was only going to do its job once she did hers. Here's a fun story from Danielle. She said, my daughter was six years old when we told her how she wasn't going to have to get shots anymore because she was getting an Omnipod. So she was very excited. 
the first time they put on the pump, the clicking and insertion scared her. But they told her, don't worry, because you're not going to feel it anymore. No more shots. Then it came time to give her her first bolus. They explained it again. No more shots. (laughs) Her daughter ran from the house down the street to avoid the bolus. She said when they finally got her to calm down and gave her the insulin, her eyes went very big and she suddenly realized no more shots. She thought she was going to feel the insertion every time she got insulin. That was the one thing they didn't think to explain to her. That's a great little piece of advice and an amusing anecdote. Sarah just says, please, everyone, share your tips so we can get this episode up. I need it. We're making the transition soon. Big smiley face. That's very great. People here, we're waiting for insurance approval. A lot of people on the thread are just talking about we're getting a pump. Um, Laura, I would say that the fear of making the move from MDI to pumping, at least for her, um, fear of change. Yeah, what's wor- we already doing something, it's working, and then she said we should, they were worried about, and then she says they were worried about cost. Is this really something everyone would like? Um, so a lot of those concerns. Okay, good, I was hoping this one came up. Would, okay, good, I was hoping this one would come up. Marta says that her total basal insulin went down, that the initial formulas for pump therapy starting with about 80% of original basal dose had to be dramatically reduced. She went from injecting 18 units of Tugeo to 12 units on the pump. See, everyone's not the same. And I'm not saying this happened to this specific person, but there are many people on MDI who are using way too much basal and find themselves feeding their insulin constantly. So as long as they eat on a certain schedule, they don't notice that they're using too much basal insulin. And it mimics really great control because you're being held low and steady. And as you try to drop, you add food. I hope that makes sense. So there's a lot of different scenarios people find themselves in with their basal. Some people don't have enough. Some people have too much, you know, et cetera. You'll find out who you are when you change to a pump. Jennifer says, if you're using a tubed pump, remember that you're going to disconnect it for, you know, bathing, for example. She says, be aware that your child may take the pump off for a shower and forget to put it back on. Of course, whether you're a child or an adult, forgetting to hook back up to your pump, you know, you don't have insulin and you will be surprised how quickly your blood sugar will rise to a dangerous level without any insulin. Tommy asks for me to talk about transitioning during the honeymoon period. Tommy, what I would say there is if someone's honeymooning and they maybe don't need very much insulin or at times it feels like they don't need any for 15 or 20 minutes at a time, your ability to shut basal down or to temp it back is going to be amazing for you. Here, I'll bring this up. Never turn your basal insulin off. So you don't suspend your pump when you want your basal to go away. You always do a temp basal decrease because when they end, you go back to your regular basal rate. Suspending insulin, and again, maybe forgetting to turn it back on, is another quick way to get into DKA. Always temp basal, never suspend. Now, I hope all of you find the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes that are here in the podcast. They begin at episode 210 with an episode called Diabetes Pro Tip, Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. But if you've been through them and just want to get back to some things that might be specific to this, 219 is about insulin pumping, 226 about the perfect bolus, 
setting basal insulin 237, pre-bolusing 217. These are all things that might have more stuff for you about using a pump, like episode 218, temp basal. There's also one here about fat and protein rises, which will talk a little bit about using extended boluses. And that's episode 263. You can find them all in your podcast app or at diabetesprotip.com. All right, back to the list. Kyle says, don't forget to rotate your sights. That's a great one. Don't always put your pump in the same exact place. Oh, he also says you can do a temp basal like 0%, like temp basal off when you first start pumping until your old injected basal insulin gets through your system and then boom, pop it right back on again. You can just sort of match them up as close as possible. So you don't have an overlap of your injected basal insulin and your pumped basal insulin on your first day. Ava says that for her, pumping was the first time she had any concept of insulin on board since it was now being displayed right there in her pump and sometimes uh, scared her away from being as bold with insulin as she was with MDI. It was only once she pushed that out of her head that she was able to add insulin when she knew she needed more. So we talk about insulin on board through the pro tip series. I hope you've heard them. Uh, There's a lot about how your settings get set up on your pump. Your doctor chooses an amount of time that they think the insulin stays in your system. If that number is not accurate, then the pump can imagine that there's insulin that's still active when there's not. In other words, imagine that the pump thinks that the insulin stays in your system for four hours, but really you use up the insulin most times in three hours. Then between that third and fourth hour, the pump's going to still think there's insulin active in there working. And say you go to have like three or four carbs, the pump might say, no, you don't need any insulin. You still have some active, but you may not. It's a, you'll figure it out, but don't just, maybe I'll do an episode of insulin on board with uh, Jenny sometime. That might be a good idea. All right, let's see what's next. Abby says, I need this episode now. Very forceful, Abby. It's coming. Carrie remembers being excited that she would not, wait, I remember being excited that I would not be as lazy of a diabetic since I would not have to get all of the paraphernalia out just to give myself a single shot. But I wish I had a provider that once we had all the settings in would have done the little small tests with me to really hone in the settings. Also remember that it's a tool, not a savior or a cure. We've gone over that. You're still responsible for understanding Absolutely true. Have a backup plan for failures with your pump. It is an electronic device and it could fail. Joanne describes learning about a pump as an elephant that's charging at you. I think she's mixing her metaphors here. Joanne, I think you're mixing your metaphors, but I love it. I'm just starting this week, so I'm a super noob, but here is what I know. It's an elephant, a giant elephant that feels like it is charging at you. The classes and forms, the logging pump, the representation the logging, the pump reps, the saline start, actually starting it, more logging. It feels like you'll never see the end of the tunnel, but you get there. So an elephant, one bite at a time. So worth it. So where she mixed is, she said, I love this. She said, it's like an elephant charging it. But I think the saying is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? I'm not sure what you did there, Joanne, but I like you, kid. Ooh, I like what Vicky does here. She says, I can wholeheartedly say It was the worst thing I've gone through in 25 years of having diabetes. Looking back, I wish I really understood all the terms in the Defining Diabetes series before getting a pump. I went from MDI and basically had no knowledge of carb counting. I was diagnosed in 95, and I really didn't stay up with it. So overnight, I needed to understand basal, correction factor, insulin on board, 
extended bolus, etc. Also, she says to work with your diabetes educator when you're setting the basal rates, get them to teach you when you should make the changes. I was on 14 units of Lantus uh, on MDI. My diabetes educator, who I later fired, started me on four units. Yeah, that wasn't going to work out with a pump and would only let me increase it if she said it was okay. They need to teach you how to use the pump. I agree. And Vicky, I appreciate you bringing up the Defining Diabetes series. There is a series within the podcast called Defining Diabetes, and this is going to be a big deal for you because new terms are going to pop up with a pump. And if you don't know what they mean, you might as well be reading a different language when someone's explaining it to you. You need to understand the terms that you're going to be using. And I do believe, and I'm just, you know, I know I made them, so I might be a little biased, but those Defining Diabetes series are an amazing way to learn a lot of things very quickly. Hey, Katie, you have a great post here, but we covered everything that you said already, but I want to thank you for it. Oh, I, here, Jennifer says, I recall being nervous about my son accidentally dosing when he first got his pump. He had an animus ping. So I learned how to lock the pump or use the second security feature that helped ease my anxiety. Apparently, there was a pin number she could use. Also, I recall being thrilled that our world got bigger. Once parents don't have to worry about the needles, he got invited to a lot more playdates and sleepovers. People were just more comfortable with the electronics. That's an excellent point. And leads me into the idea that I'd like to bring up, which is that I know the Omnipod has limits that you can set. I'm sure every other pump does as well. Max bolus max basal rate so that you can't by mistake want to give one unit and give a hundred units as a bolus or so you can set it wherever you want. I think Arden's max basal is set at like six units or seven units an hour. So I can't mistakenly type in nine or 10 or 77 or something like that. Uh, and same with her bolus. I don't remember where it's at at the moment, but I just took the biggest bolus I've ever made in my life, added a couple of units to it, and limited it at that so that somebody doesn't end up doing, you know, 175 if they mean 17. But I'm also not in a situation where if suddenly she eats something more than usual, the pump's not stopping us from giving a couple of more units than we normally do. It's a very important safety feature. Please check it out. Kelsey, you're asking a lot of good questions here in the thread. They're all covered in the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes. Steven says, best tips I got were in my original training from a CDE who was also a T1D. The first was about changing sites. Be sure to prime the cannula and add the appropriate amount of insulin to create the puddle of insulin so it can, able, so it can enable the insulin to start the absorption, breaking the clumps of insulin into single molecules so the body can use them. Steven, I am not following you because Arden's never used a tube pump, but I trust you as a great person on this site, so I'm going to continue reading. The second great tip was to use skin prep as a skin barrier and adhesive enhancer. Been using it for over 20 years. The third was to understand that the basal rates will change and that the insulin to carb ratio will change no matter what you do. Don't take it personally. Steven, I'm going to say, I'm guessing... Tubed pumps get air in them. You have to prime them through. It's not something I understand uh, because I've never used a tube pump, but I do know it's important. So if you have a tube pump, make sure you understand how to prime it. If you have an Omnipod, it takes care of that automatically. And what else did I want to say here? I just had a thought in my head, Stephen. What the hell? You made me think of something and now it's gone. Oh, damn it. Ah, about basal rates. I got it. Look at me. I haven't lost my mind yet. Basal rates are going to change. And that's whether you're MDI or you're pumping. 
you're going to gain weight, become more or less sedentary. There's all kinds of reasons why the amount of insulin you'll need will change. Hormonal changes, it's not ever going to be set it and forget it. You're never just going to be like, oh, my basal rate is 0.75 an hour. I'll never think of that again. Don't think that's going to happen. Jenna, this is brilliant. Start your first few sites around the same place on the body for consistency. Different locations can require different basal rates. Like, for instance, Arden's thigh needs a little more insulin than Arden's arms. Very good. Her belly doesn't need as much as her thighs, etc. That could be different from every, for everybody. Jenna goes on to say different locations can require different basal rates, pre-bolus times, and just overall insulin need and action time. Personally, when doing MDI, I recognize that I have poor arm absorption and great belly absorption. Jenna has great belly absorption. If you're ever on the podcast, Jenna, that's going to be the title of your episode. So I started putting my pods primarily on my belly for the first few months so I could figure out how to best use my pump and its features without adding confusion of absorption differences. That's pretty brilliant. Also, a great time to remind you that you can't just put the pump in the same exact spot over and over again. Very similar to you just can't inject over and over in the same places. You have to have a few sites and you should rotate them often. And um, don't forget that, please. In the same vein, Arden has times of the month where she's more easy to control and less easy to control. I don't think that was English, but when I know she's going to be harder and need more insulin, I make sure that her pumps are on her sites that work better. And times when she's going to be easier, I put it on the sites that need a little more work. So it's not that drastic, but it is significant enough to mention that you should be paying attention to it. Okay, well, that's it. I appreciate everyone jumping in the thread and leaving their thoughts, remembrances, and tips of switching from MDI to pumping. I remember the time personally as not that confusing or different because I was pretty bad at it with MDI, so I didn't notice if I was bad at it with pumping. <laughs> just just moved one shit show from this side of the room to that side of the room. You know what I mean? I can say now, looking back with hindsight, that everything that everyone mentioned here is well worth understanding. But in the end, you're changing insulin delivery systems. You're eliminating using two different insulins. You're using just one fast-acting insulin that's being dispersed by the pump, both for basal and bolus. You need to know the terms of the pump stuff because otherwise you're like, I don't understand what a temp basal is. You learn that kind of stuff. You learn what a cannula is, that kind of thing. You start figuring out what spots on the body work better, which spots need a little more insulin. Get that basal insulin right. Don't sit and stare at it, especially, especially just do the math. If you were using 10 units a day and now all of a sudden you're using five units a day of basal insulin and you're like, oh, the blood sugar is always high. Please don't say pumps don't work. Think, why are we not using all the basal insulin we used to? That's just such a big thing. Um, just, I just see it so much with people. And here's one last tip from me. When you're wearing an insulin pump and you think the site might be bad for whatever reason, and you're, you know, pumping in insulin, you're not seeing anything happen. You're not sure if the site's bad or if you just have a high blood sugar and you're not using enough insulin. Making an injection as a correction will bypass the pump, right? So if you inject in that scenario and your blood sugar starts to move down pretty quickly, that's a good way to figure out that the site might be bad. Ah, you say. Makes sense, Scott. But would I think of it in the moment? You probably would not. 
which is why I've mentioned it here. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I really want to thank the people on the private Facebook group for the podcast. It's called Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. I hope to see you there. And uh, that's it. Hey, don't forget the T1D Exchange. If you can go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and get involved in the registry, you'll be helping people with type 1 diabetes a huge amount. You'll be helping the show. That, by the way, is for U.S. residents who have type 1 diabetes or U.S. residents who are the caregivers for someone who has type 1 diabetes. And because we talk so much about it, I know there are plenty of other pumps, but of course the Omnipod is a sponsor of the show, and they offer a free, no-obligation demo. It'll be sent right to your house, and you can actually try it on myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. There's still links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com. I forgot to mention that the Defining Diabetes episodes are, of course, available. They're spread throughout the podcast. Um, But if you go to diabetesprotip.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, they're all there. So you can find them that way if you just want to find out what number they are and then listen to them in your player, or you can listen to them right on the website. I really appreciate you listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of the Juicebox Podcast. If you think you'd be a great guest for the podcast, reach out to me by emailing me at scott at juiceboxpodcast.com. I'm currently booking for the second half of 2021. I think that's August or later. I'm looking for anyone who thinks they have a good story, somebody who really wants to share, help people, or just want to be involved in the podcast. Bonus if you think you have a good After Dark episode in you. Email me. I'll wait for this to stop. I'm Scott at juiceboxpodcast.com.